Hi, y'all. This is Lee. Welcome to Hashing It Out with Lee Montgomery. Hey, guys. I'm here with Liza today, and we're going to talk about the eight tests we recommend you request from your doctor. So Lee, you get this question a lot. We see it a lot in our Facebook group. We see it, um, we get it in our email pretty much daily, but basically people don't know exactly what tests they should get run the first time they go in when they suspect that maybe they've got a lot of Hashimoto symptoms. Maybe they just have hypothyroid symptoms um, and they're walking into their doctor and they'd like to get tested. There's a couple of tests that doctors seem to always give and then some that um, we tend to have to fight for a little bit. So we're going to talk today about what those tests are, why you need them, um, and kind of in layman's terms, what those tests are actually testing for. Absolutely. So we have eight tests that we um, suggest to our Hashi girls to request from their doctors when they first start on this journey. Um, And some of these are going to be very familiar to you. They're the ones that your doctors always run, your TSH. Um, sometimes your T3, sometimes your T4, but there's quite a few of them that most of our girls come to us, they've never been ran. Um, and sometimes when they take this list to their doctor, their doctor puts up a little bit of a fight. Um, they're not on board with running the test. So we're going to give you the rundown. We're going to skim the surface on the background of what these tests are and hope that when you go to your doctor that you have enough information to convince them to run these at least as a baseline. Um, I always say the more information you have um, when you go to your doctor, the, the more likely that they'll be on board with actually writing the order for you. Here's the cool thing, guys, though. If your doctor says no or won't write the order for the test, there are so many mail-in lab test companies now. You can get these. The only difference is, is that if you have insurance, you will have to pay cash for them. But I will tell you, so many of them are affordable now that it shouldn't shouldn't be a problem. We're talking about, is it Everlywell? Is that one of them? Um, Everlywell is one. Um, Paloma is another one. So there's quite a few lab companies that if you have any problems getting your doctor to write this order, go to them. They'll get it done for you. Um, it'll be worth every penny that you spend. So let's get started. So Number one, and I think this is the one that most of you are familiar with, is TSH, and that's the thyroid stimulating hormone. Um, And it's probably the most common test that we see ordered. The TSH, um, for those of you that don't know this, is actually a pituitary function test, um, and it's used to diagnose thyroid disease. And that pituitary function, that is actually a gland in the brain, for those of you that didn't know that. So under normal circumstances, your body produces TSH, which then tells the thyroid gland to produce thyroid hormone. When you have a high TSH, that's usually a sign of hypothyroidism. So opposite of what you think, right? Or an inactive thyroid gland. While a low TSH can be a sign of hyperthyroidism or excessive thyroid gland. And sometimes if you're already on medication, you can have a low TSH, but that's more medically induced low TSH. And not always do we have to uh, be worried about being hyperthyroid because we can have a really low TSH because it's medically induced with a prescription. um, But then our T3 and our T4 are actually where we want them to be. So TSH does have the name stimulating in it, right? Um, But this isn't the case because in order for the TSH to be effective, the thyroid gland must be working. And a lot of us with Hashimoto's, because of the antibodies that we're producing, um, it it's 
our, our Hashimoto's is already having an impact on our thyroid. So our thyroids are not actually working the way that they should be. So while your pituitary gland could be working and telling your body to produce the TSH, your thyroid may be ineffective. Um, and that's hopefully what we're going to work on with lifestyle and nutrition changes later. So having said that, TSH, very good in the initial phases of diagnosing a thyroid disorder. Um, not really great going down the line. It doesn't really help with many things after the initial diagnosis, except for maybe to catch a flare here and there. But we need to know these other things to know actually where do we stand. Um, so the second one is free T3. So free T3 probably one of the most important important measures of the thyroid function because it measures the free and the active thyroid hormone. T3 is actually more biologically active than T4. T3 is what we call the happy um, the happy thyroid hormone. So I tell people this is the one that it's so important for this actual hormone to be at, in the optimal levels, usually on the higher side. It's the one that actually makes us feel good. So if you're being treated already for hypothyroidism and your doctor's only treating you with a T4 replacement like Synthroid or Levothyroxine, you are missing out. Just a small dose of T3, which is like Cytomel or Levothyronine, I can't ever say that right, or a desiccated thyroid like I take, like Armor, MP Thyroid, one that's a mix of T4, T3, can actually give you the boost you need. So I always tell people, ask about it. If you're on one of the T4 onlys, ask about the desiccated or adding in a, T, a little T3. That's the happy one. That's the biologically available one. That's the one that's going to make you feel good. So I know when I started with you, Lee, um, for those of you guys that don't know, I also have Hashimoto's. Um, Lee and I kind of found each other through a happy accident. Um, and when she found out I had Hashies, she, of course, jumped into action and wanted to help. I was really gun shy about it because I had only had my TSH run initially. I didn't know why I was hypothyroid. I knew I was, but I did not know that I actually had like the Hashimoto's autoimmune component. So my doctor put me directly on levothyroxine, the generic version of Synthroid. Um, and I started that and I actually felt horrible. I felt worse for almost a year. And even while they were adjusting my meds, I just felt really, really bad. And so I was really gun shy. I got off of thyroid hormone um, altogether. And I was just kind of pretending I didn't have Hashimoto's. I just kind of gave up and said, well, I'll just live with all the side effects. So when Lee introduced me to armor, I was really excited um, just because Lee looks great, but, and feels great, but also because I learned so much about what T3 does for you. And so once I started taking armor, the change in my mood, the change in my energy level, um, and yeah, you just feel happier. You just feel better. So for me, I definitely needed something with some T3 in it. That was something that, um, I didn't find anywhere else. The only thing I had heard or the only person I'd heard that from, the only person who had written anything about it that I had seen was Lee. So that was a huge game changer for me and my Hashimoto's. I love that. Love it. It has been a game changer for me as well um, because I too started on Synthroid and felt good for about three months and then hit a wall. And so when I was finally switched over to Armor is when things started to really change for me. So, okay. So the next one is Free T4. So Free T4 measures the amount of um, 
the actual T4 in circulation. Okay. So in order for it to be activated, T4 has to turn into T3. Does that make sense? So um, your T3 levels are going to depend on your T4 levels. Uh, do you have enough T4 to convert to T3? Some people have a conversion issue. They have enough T4, but it's not converting appropriately. So checking the levels of free T4 lets us know, do we have enough there to make that conversion? Okay. And if we do and we're not converting it, then we can ask more questions. Um, total T3, don't see this one a lot. But this is actually includes the measurement of bound T3. And bound T3 is not considered active like free T3, but total T3 gives you a more stable long-term marker of T3 in circulation. So this is one that I say, get a baseline on. You don't have to get this one every time you go in. Maybe yearly, you know, 12 to 18 months, you want to see where your total T3 is to make sure it's leveling out. I, I always... Um, and, and I don't even know if this is an accurate um, analogy or not, but I, when I think of total T3, I think of A1C in the, in the diabetes world, right? Like, so you have your blood glucose that you can check to get like a right now reading, but your A1C kind of gives you your long-term um, look at that. That is how I think of total T3. So again, something that should we have that marker? Yes, it's a great baseline. It's something to monitor over time. Not one we need all the time, but it does give us that more stable long-term look at our thyroid marker. Okay, the next two, thyroid antibodies. It amazes me how many women with Hashimoto's comes, come to me and do not know where their antibodies are, okay? Um, thyroid antibodies include thyroglobulin antibody, which you will often see as TG antibody or thyroid peroxidase antibody, which is TPO antibody. Okay, so the presence of these antibodies in your serum blood um, may indicate an autoimmune disease, which is damaging your thyroid gland. So these are the markers that most women that start having issues with their thyroid, they get these tests run to confirm Hashimoto's. Having said that, you can have a zero negative, zero as in serum negative antibodies and still have hashies. Few and far between, most of us do test positive here. Okay. So I always recommend get your baseline, know where you're starting. These are the ones that I monitored more often because they kept me honest with myself. I could monitor where my antibodies were. So that told me how was my stress management? Was I sleeping appropriately? Were the lifestyle and nutrition changes that I were making in my life making a difference, taking some of that inflammation off of my body to start reversing the antibodies? Again, this doesn't happen overnight. In fact, the very first year where I went all in on an elimination diet, doing all the things to um, start my healing process, I really didn't see a change in my antibodies until about 12 months in. Mine started at greater than 999. That's the highest that the, the lab actually read at the time. Um, in that first year, I would drop down to 850, go back up to 950. And I'd drop down to 820 and I'd go back up to 900. So I kept making these drops and I'd never hit the top level again. Um, but it stayed within that 200 um, range for quite a while. And it's something happened, and I'm sure it was just the healing process, the consistency, the persistence of me being on my journey. 
that after that first year, I really started to see the difference in the lab work, um, which was very motivating for me because at this point I was feeling really good. Um, and there weren't very many things I was having like quote unquote reactions to like if I ate gluten, I didn't have a stomach ache. I didn't get bloated. I didn't feel bad. So this is what kept me true to what I knew I needed to do to keep healing on the longer term journey, if that makes sense. So antibodies, super important. Um, at minimum, check them once a year. Uh, what I thought was really interesting, Lee, when I started working with you um, and you kind of had me take a deep dive into the research that you'd been doing, what I thought was really interesting is that I was only told that I was hypothyroid. So initially on my initial diagnosis, they said you're hypothyroid. Here is this little white pill. You're going to take it every day. Um, they didn't tell me it was going to make me feel like crap, but it did. And they said, um, take this pill and off you go. So I was completely unaware that I had an autoimmune component to my hypothyroid issue because being hypothyroid does not equate with Hashimoto's every single time, right? So I had no idea that there was anything I could do autoimmune-wise to treat anything. So one of the big things that I learned when I started working with you, that my diet did make a difference, that my lifestyle did make a difference, that there were changes that I could implement that were not pharmaceutical changes, that were literally just like behavioral lifestyle kind of mindset changes that would really make a difference for me because I wasn't just hypothyroid. There was a reason I was hypothyroid. And the reason was that I had an autoimmune disease. So when I began to treat my Hashis like an autoimmune disease, that's when I started seeing the most changes. Absolutely. And this is a whole nother podcast. We'll have to go on. But like... <laughs> I would even venture more. It's like, yes, I have an autoimmune disease, but really most of us have a lifestyle problem, <laughs> right? That turn that on. And uh, we can talk about that another day. I think it's a great podcast to go into uh, what came first, the chicken or the egg. Um, and some are both, but um, I think it's something that we have to be well aware of that a white pill is not going to fix this. Getting your sleep routine in check for seven days isn't going to fix this. Eating a salad every day for four days in a row isn't going to fix this, right? Like it's a long-term <laughs> consistency, persistence, changing the way we live across the board that will slowly get you where you need to be. So I love that. I think there's so much more about this that the doctors aren't talking about, but that's what we're here for. So um, I appreciate that. So the next one is reverse T3. Um, this is the one that we get the most um, pushback from doctors on for some, some reason. Um, and typically it's because they say it's not in their scope. But I'm like, if you're running thyroid labs, it's absolutely in your scope to run this. So this actually helps measure the conversion capacity of your thyroid gland. So high reverse T3 may be a sign that your body is having trouble converting T4 into the active thyroid hormone T3, which was actually a problem I had when I first started this. I had severe gut issues um, that I didn't know I had yet. But as we ran these tests, we were able to drill down to figure that out. Um, high reverse T3 is commonly seen after rapid weight loss, in obesity, um, in what they call euthroid six syndrome, um, or people that carry high levels of inflammation, um, which typically these people are sedentary, they're not moving, high stress levels, not sleeping um, on the um, standard American diet, right? So 
if you're not seeing movement, if you're not seeing the things that you think you should, and you're making these lifestyle changes and you haven't ran a reverse T3, go get one done. It might give you the answer. Um, at least give you um, a look at maybe a different way of going about healing, right? On where, where that path should go for you. Um, and the last one is vitamin D. We all love us in vitamin D, right? So we know that vitamin D, um, while it's not a hormone, it impacts almost every hormone, every function in your body. And I will tell you, um, and I won't say 100%, but probably 98% of the girls that come to me with Hashis are vitamin D deficient. Um, and it could be because they're just deficient. Like mine was a nine, I think when I first got it checked, like I was super <laughs> deficient, right? I live in Texas. I'm out in the sun all the time. I thought there's no way I'm deficient on vitamin D, but we aren't in the elements enough and we're not exposed. We were, we're slapping sunscreen on our bodies, right? Like all these things. So our body doesn't get to absorb the, the vitamin D. And that was really, that was my problem then. Um, or we're taking vitamin D and we're still deficient because we don't understand like a standard lab range versus an optimal lab range. And so for standard, your conventional doctors are going to tell you 30 is a good vitamin D level. It's a great start. But for women with Hashimoto's, women with autoimmune disease, um, and this is based on feedback from my doctor, and I've, I've listened to many other doctors. I don't just listen to my doctor, right? Like um, a vitamin D level should actually be somewhere between 60 and 80. Our bodies, our bodies are already fighting against themselves. They need more help. So we want higher levels. Um, and you have to remember, whether you're in Texas or in the Pacific Northwest, in the fall, in the winter, when we get less sun exposure, typically we have to increase or start a supplement, right? Like a vitamin D supplement. And then in the spring and the summertime, when we're getting more exposure, um, if you're out in the sun all the time, um, you could probably half that, that dosage. Some of us might actually be able to get off of it entirely in the spring and the summer. Um, I doubt it. I, I'm sure you probably need some sort of supplementation just because that's the way our society is. We're sitting under fluorescent lights working all day now. We're not out in the sun all the time, but that's why you want to get this one checked. So I always tell people, get a baseline, check it until you get it in that optimal range, and then continue to check it in the cold months and check it in the hot months and see where your body's leveling out so that you can determine how much vitamin D you need to be taking. What I thought was interestingly about the vitamin D stuff is I had never supplemented it before we started working together. And then once we did, you had me supplement like crazy. Um, and once I started upping those levels, it was really funny that over the summer, I went to the beach with my family and we usually stay a full week. And so it's a lot of sun. It's a lot of outside time. Um, and so I'm usually pretty careful about wearing sunscreen, making sure that we're covered up, things like that. But usually at the end of seven days, I might be a little bit red, right? Or the kids might be a little bit red um, just because it's a ton of being outside and out in the sun. Well, this was the first year that I'd ever been supplementing vitamin D and my kids too. I also have them doing vitamin D um, because some of this stuff can be hereditary. And like you said, we're just not getting enough from our diets and from being outside. Well, this was the first year that nobody got sunburned. 
Like nobody got sunburned. We were outside the whole time. We're running around and nobody got sunburned. And I thought it was really interesting. So I actually kind of did a little research into it. And that can be um, one of the things that you can get. Like one of the benefits of taking a supplement of vitamin D is you can actually get some sun protection, which I thought was really, really interesting. I'm not saying you can just like take pills and run around with no sunscreen ever. But right. like, <laughs> it was really cool that we were able to be there this whole time and nobody got a sunburn, like not one person. So I thought that was really neat. Yeah. So in this journey, it's so funny you say that. Um, one of the things I have learned, and I think it's too, because we become aware of the environmental toxins that we're taking in, again, a whole nother podcast. Um, and <laughs> one of them was sunscreen, the chemicals that are in sunscreen. And so were we actually doing our body justice using them and, and maybe switching our sunscreens to more of a zinc based. But in my research of that, I found that actually using vitamin D helps with sunscreen or sun protection. Um, and also like a slow release vitamin C is also another internal sunscreen protection without lathering the chemicals on. Right. So um, again, we, another uh, podcast in the making, but it's so <laughs> interesting that when, our bodies are functioning or working. We give them the tools to, to work the way they're supposed to work, how that actually impacts us overall, right? Like our body can actually protect itself. Um, and so again, we're not advocating to send your kid out <laughs> on a hundred degree day, you know, full sun. Your no little sunscreen. freckly kiddos. Yes, don't do that. But we are saying that you may see a difference. You may need less. Um, you may be able to just cover up and not have to apply the sunscreen over and over again. So those, I don't, you know, again, those aren't coincidences. It actually does work that way, which I think is a cool, a cool benefit to it. So, um, so these are the eight tests that we recommend. If this is something, you know, if you had time to take notes, great, you've got your list. If you're listening in your car right now and you're like, crap, I didn't take any notes. Reach out to us. You can find me on Instagram at Lily Montgomery, L-E-I-G-H, L-E-I-G-H Montgomery. Um, shoot me a DM. We have a cute little infographic that we will send you with the labs um, listed out for you. Um, or you can join us um, on Facebook. We actually have a free Facebook group. That is, I think, Liza, help correct me if I'm wrong. It's facebook.com forward slash thriving through Hashimoto's group right? Or forward slash group. <laughs> so it's facebook.com forward slash group forward slash thriving through Hashimoto's. Got it. So we are there, <laughs> but let us help you. So I don't, you know, again, if you didn't have time to take notes, you're driving in your car, whatever you got going on, there's no need to have to go back and listen to this. We got your back covered. Go to hashigirls.com forward slash podcast. We have the list waiting for you there with the exact tests that we recommend you get ran and how often to get them run. Hope you enjoyed today. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Learn more about thriving through your Hashimoto's at HashiGirls.com.